Hello and welcome to the Healthy for Men podcast. I'm Gershon Portnoy, the interim editor of Healthy for Men. And in this episode, we're going to hear from four expert guests who can make sure we all have the best possible year ahead. From your fitness regime and your protein consumption, to managing your stress and mental health, to eating healthily, we've got everything covered in this podcast. So, first up, I'm joined by ultra runner and online running coach Christian Morgan to talk about how we can all sustain our running and fitness goals this year. Last September, Christian broke the record for the fastest known time running the Southwest Coast Path. He covered the 630 miles in an unbelievable 10 days, 12 hours, and 6 minutes. Hi, Christian. Hey, Gershon. How's it going, man? Yeah, it's going okay. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. I just got in from cold water swimming, so I'm pleased to be in the warm house. Wow. Wow. That must be very cold because we're talking on a pretty cold day, aren't we? Yeah, it's all part of training. Keeps me... uh keeps me focused. <laughs> so today we're talking about people getting kind of back into their running and their general fitness in 2021 after what has been for most of us, obviously a pretty tricky 2020. I just wondered what would be your advice for people who may, may have run a little bit or they may have started running during the lockdown and the pandemic. If they're kind of looking to get started again in 2021, how do you think they should approach that? Well, as a running coach, I have people come to me and my first thing to get them to do is to pick a goal if you've got something to work towards it makes it a heck of a lot easier to get outside and go for a run because then it serves a larger purpose so I think you need to realize what is your purpose why do I want to go running and what is my purpose and once you've realized that then you can start finding some structure and reason and it'll be a lot easier to get out lace up the trainers and get outside Yeah. No. And I was going to ask you actually about that because I suppose goals are linked to motivation. And often what you find, especially in in the new year, is people feel quite motivated, don't they, to make a new start and to sort of, you know, whether it's going for a run or hitting the gym or getting on a bike, whatever they may do. But it can tail off pretty quickly, can't it, after a few weeks. So I just wondered if you have any tips for staying motivated and making sure that it kind of lasts a little bit beyond, say, the second or third week of January. Yeah, I think the best New Year's resolution is not to have a New Year's resolution and to create a lifestyle which sends you in the direction towards the person you feel you are and you want to be. So try to look beyond New Year's resolutions and think to yourself, why am I doing this? You know, what, what is my purpose and how long is it going to last? So maybe look a couple of years down the line. Don't just look into January. Think, you know, where do I, because running can take you places in other countries or mentally and and build your self-esteem. So just think of it as a longer term goal rather than a new year's resolution. Yeah, that's really interesting, actually. I've read a lot about people who have like mantras when they run. So they kind of repeat something or they have something in their mind, whether it's a visual or whatever it is. Do you think they work? And, and, you know, do you have one? And would would you advise that, you know, that's something that can help people? Yeah, mantras do work. Uh, In 2016, I ran the Marathon de Sables. And for anyone who doesn't know, that's a marathon a day 
for like three days and then a double marathon on day four and then another marathon uh, on day, I think it's six. So that's a pretty epic, and that's across a desert with sandstorms and dunes. I was completely out of my comfort zone and I found myself saying over and over in my head, I'm just going for a run. I'm just going for a run. So I was kind of downplaying the the situation in my mind. So I think mantras do work. When I've been with some run coaching clients or I've told someone to do some speed work and they're finding it difficult, I say fast, light, and strong. And I get them to repeat that fast, light, and strong. So depending on the situation, uh, depending on the person, I think if it's personal, a mantra can bring you to the finish line for sure or the end Mm. of a training run yeah yeah absolutely what about music because music's obviously quite big for people you know whatever exercise they're doing i just wondered if you if you felt that could really give people a a sort of lift in terms of motivating them is it something that they use to inspire you as well yeah i've experimented with all sorts of stuff you know if i'm doing quite a more of an upbeat run i've sometimes found that just loud 80s techno music is really good (laughs) Um, other times when i've wanted to chill out i've actually put on a 40 minute meditation music and just kind of floated along which was really nice i gotta say most of the time i listen to podcasts i'm a real big fan of podcasts and then other times just i take my earphones out and i just want to tune into myself and i don't want any external noise so yeah it's it's fun to play with the options Okay, people might even be listening to us right now uh, while, while they're you know on their run. You never know. Now, I suppose the, the other thing is that you can people can make mistakes quite easily without you know realizing. Of course, are there any sort of potential sort of big no nos or things that people should try to avoid if they're kind of like looking to charge into the new year and you know you know get out there and run or what you know get fit, whatever else it is that they want to do. Yeah. Don't compare yourself with your friends or other people. You know, this is your personal journey. And just because someone else is running faster or running further or at a different stage, that's their personal journey. So really don't be uninspired by comparing yourself with other people. I think that's really important when you're starting out on a journey of running. And then the other thing is, just make sure that you're not going too fast. <laughs> you know, just go at a, a comfortable pace for you and actually start doing a little bit of research because there's so many different styles of run. There's not just running, there's there's tempo runs, there's intervals, there's long runs, there's recovery runs, easy runs, hill repeats, you know, fartlek. So maybe learn, do a little bit of research. And when you go out, think, what is the purpose of this particular run that I'm doing right now? There could be a, a base building phase for a few weeks. So I think do a little bit of research, I would say. And, and, and again, remember, it's your own personal journey. Mm, that sounds really solid and important advice. Now, I can't let you go without mentioning your incredible record-breaking run on the Southwest Coast Path, as I mentioned at the beginning. Now, I'm sure you learned loads of lessons uh, from taking on a challenge like that. But I just wondered if there was a couple of things that you might be able to share with listeners that might help them in terms of whatever their goals are. Of course, they may not be doing something like that, but the lessons could be transferable to pretty much anything, I would imagine. Yeah, there's going to be, including myself, I think as people, we have limits and those limits um, are a lot further out than we really 
think they are. So don't be put off by your self-imposed limits because you can always achieve a lot more than you really think you can. And all it takes is first you've got to do what's necessary and then just do what's possible. And before you know it, you're doing the impossible. So everyone out there can achieve the impossible. But what's most important, as Bruce Lee once said, is the person who wins is usually the person who thinks they can. So just have belief, people, because you can do it. Wow. Bruce Lee and running. This is this is like a dream interview. <laughs> Christian, I just wanted to thank you very much for joining me on the Healthy for Men podcast. And if uh, listeners are interested in finding out more about Christian's challenge, you can read an interview with Christian in the next issue of Healthy for Men, which will be available in all Holland and Barrett stores from February. So Christian, thank you very much indeed. Gershon, it's been a pleasure. I really appreciate your time today. If you want to find out more about Christian Morgan, head to christianultra.com. Now I'm joined by Neil Shah, and Neil is the founder, director, and chief de-stressing officer of the Stress Management Society and International Wellbeing Insights. Neil is a leading global expert on stress management and well-being, co-founder and the leader of the mental health subgroup for the Recovery Campaign, and the best-selling author of many books, including the 10-step stress solution. So Neil, first of all, hi, welcome to the Healthy for Men podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure to be here today with you. Well, um, obviously you're more than uh, overqualified, if that's possible, to talk about stress. And I just wanted to have a chat about stress in going into 2021. Now, obviously 2020 has been arguably uh, the most stressful year on record. You'd probably be able to say a lot more about that. But I wondered if you could maybe share some top tips for listeners to stay stress-free in 2021. Absolutely. I'd love to. And It's going to be no surprise to anyone that 2020 was the most stressful year in in, in recorded history. The the challenges we've faced in in living memory, nobody has been through anything like this. (laughs) Interestingly, even though that in the last hundred years, we've had challenging experiences like world wars and all kinds of other kind of challenges, the way this has impacted our daily lives and the loss of freedoms and liberties and the uncertainty, the volatility, the complexity of the situation, not knowing what's going to happen next, and also the fact that we have access to more information than we've had during previous challenges means that we're constantly finding ourselves in a state of heightened anxiety because the news, mainstream media, social media, the constant messages of be scared, be fearful, you go into the street and everybody's kind of in a state of panic. We've had lockdowns, we've been asked to be in our homes and it has been really, really overwhelming. And I think that this is something that we really desperately need to take stock of to ensure that the new year that we're about to start doesn't end up being more of the same. I think when we got to the end of the first lockdown and things started to open up and yeah. things were being relaxed, we all felt like, okay, it's over, it's behind us, the worst is behind us, and we can start rebuilding our lives. The second lockdown, I think, was tragic for a lot of people in terms of the cost to their lives, to their businesses, to um, to so many different aspects of, of kind of our, our daily lives, our ability to socialize and get together with the people we love and care about. So I think what we need to consider right now is if we know this has happened, how do we navigate an, a future which is still very, very much uncertain? You know, 
for want of a better description, I find myself living in an episode of Black Mirror, a particularly bad episode of Black Mirror. <laughs> yeah. Reality is far more distressing than fantasy at the moment. <laughs> so if, if that's the case, I think, you know, when you're watching something particularly tragic or, or, or scary on television, you can kind of take a step back and say, well, actually, this, this isn't true reality. This isn't a true reflection of, of the world that we live in. This is just a snapshot or an image or a story. If we look at 2020 as exactly that, that's a story that happened. We get to decide what happens next. We get to decide how the future looks. And I totally appreciate that we may not end up back to where we were before this all started anytime soon, if ever, but that's okay. Let's learn from the lessons of, of, of 2020 and all the things that went wrong and all the things we struggled with and look at how we can plan ahead for a year where we factored for all of that. Because as the saying goes, fail to plan and plan to fail. We couldn't possibly have planned for 2020 because we didn't know it was going to happen until it happened. It took us by surprise. We were in lockdown before any of us had even recognized that there's a global health issue going on. But now we know that this has happened. What can we do to prepare for the future? What can we do in terms of upskilling ourselves to protect ourselves? Now we know that we're spending significantly more time in front of screens. We're spending less time interacting with our fellow humans, whether that be in a physical workplace or socializing, going out for meals, getting together with friends and family. So if we know that's the case, what can we do to build in opportunities for interaction, for social engagement? What can we do to get more comfortable with the potential periods of isolation by being by ourselves? And in the same way that you may prepare for a long distance sporting event like a marathon or a triathlon or something like that, you would practice, you'd build it up. You'd have short runs and do longer runs and longer runs until you're ready to engage in that longer distance. And that's what I'm going to encourage everyone to do. Start practicing periods of being comfortable being by yourself, whether that be through a daily walk where you're unplugged, you haven't got your phone with you, you're able to be in nature and just be really present to the act of walking. If you're spending time with your family at home, spend periods of time where you are not in front of a television, you're not doing anything other than just being with your family, talking, engaging, having a meal together, or maybe even take up some kind of formal mindfulness technique, whether that be some kind of meditation or breathing practice or yoga or something else that allows you to be present in the moment with no judgment, no right or wrong. It's not like you're trying to achieve something. You're just observing the reality of this moment as it is, not as you want it to be. Because for the vast majority of us going through 2020, we are observing the reality of this moment as it is, but we didn't want it to be that way. We just wanted this to end. It's like, when is this going to be over? The more comfortable we get being uncomfortable, and it's like, if the world outside us is crazy, we can, may not be able to control that. We don't get to make the decisions on what we do, when we do it, who we do it, what we wear while we do it. What we do get to make the decision about is how we choose to react to those external challenges. And that is the power that many of us have given away. We need to reclaim that power. And in 2021, if we have reclaimed the internal power, I'm hoping that will also allow us to be a little bit more critical in our thinking, to observe the guidelines where they make sense, and to challenge the things that don't make sense. And I think that, for me, has been a challenge because it's not just me and you and every other person on the street. It's also people that are in positions of leadership that have found themselves struggling and making poor decisions because they are not being able to be present to what's actually happening. And I think this is where we need to collectively come together and to work together as a society to ensure that we're able to find a pathway out of this. Otherwise, we're going to be struggling going around in circles as individuals, but also collectively. So 
often people think, well, there's nothing I can do. I refute that. There is always something you can do. You decide what you are going to do, what action you're going to take for yourself. Because if we all reclaimed our personal power, collectively, the trajectory of the country, society, the community starts to change. And that's really what I want to see. Because, you know, it's obviously, it's, been, it's probably been a while since any of us have been on a plane. But if you remember the last time you were on a plane, before the plane takes off, and they talk about the safety instructions and what to do if there's dropping cabin pressure. If the oxygen mask drop down, they always say, before you attempt to put a mask on someone else, put it on yourself first. So that's one of the things that I'm going to encourage everyone to think about for 2021 in all aspects of your life, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. When I say spiritually, I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about connecting to something beyond yourself, however you choose to connect to something beyond yourself. Socially, ensure you have prioritized your needs because you cannot pour from an empty cup. And there's lots of well-meaning people out there trying to save the world and help everyone else. And they're not looking after the most important person in their life. You can't help anyone else if you're struggling on the verge of collapse yourself. So consider paying attention to your body, to really listening, to giving yourself what you need at all levels. And then from that, the excess you will have to be able to contribute back to helping us to rebuild our society after a crazy, unprecedented year. Well, there's a, a lot of really strong messages there. I just wanted to touch on a couple of things. I mean, you, you have actually suggested some really good coping mechanisms there in terms of people that might be feeling stressed. Are there other kind of practical steps that listeners might sort of be thinking about taking if they are feeling kind of quite overwhelmed, whether it's with stress or the, the sort of, you know, the ongoing tough situation that we're all in? Absolutely. Now, it comes down to the basic biological needs of the body. And when we are stressed and overwhelmed, those often get overlooked. I am sure there are many of us that when we're stressed, we'll be reaching for comfort food, drinking more coffee, turning to alcohol, nicotine, drugs, whether that be pharmaceutical or recreational, all kinds of things that in the inadvertent belief they're gonna help. But we also stop doing the things that make us healthy eating healthy meals. You know, when you're stressed, you're not thinking about celery or apples, are you? You're thinking about a burger or pizza or chocolate or cakes. You're not thinking about ensuring you're drinking plenty of water. You're thinking about that glass of wine or the gin and tonic or the cup of coffee. So ensuring that you're putting the right things into your body that are going to fuel it, to be strong, to be healthy. Staying hydrated is really, really important. That when we're stressed, we are actually uh, burning more water than we would when we're in our normal rested and relaxed state. So staying well hydrated. Breathing. Again, it sounds ridiculous. Breath is the first thing you do when you come into this planet. It's the last thing you do when you leave this planet. It's the one thing that's happening in any given moment of your life. Yet it's the one thing that we pay very little attention to. In fact, Gershon, if you come across someone that's stressed, panicky, and anxious, what's the first thing we tell them to do? Calm down. Take a deep breath. At some level, we all know this to be true, but how many of us actually sit down to practice deep breathing? Just to spend a few minutes observing your breath and breathing into your belly, maximizing the amount of oxygen you're getting on board because just a few minutes of doing that means you get more oxygen up to your brain and you feel more calm, relaxed, but also every system and function of your body requires fresh oxygenated blood to work efficiently. If you're depriving yourself of oxygen, you are never going to be working optimally. Sleep. Poor sleep is both a cause and a symptom of stress. When you are stressed, you don't sleep at night, and when you don't sleep at night, you're stressed. So we get ourselves locked in these vicious cycles of tiredness and stress. So making sure you get 
good night's sleep. Social interaction. Human beings are social creatures. And, you know, where possible in an appropriate, safe way, find time to be able to connect with your fellow humans, friends, family members, etc. If you have people that you are able to engage with in an appropriate way, or at the very least, try and sort of make time for virtual interactions. It's not quite the same, but it's better than nothing. And I think all of these things can really help. And I, they sound so simple, but actually the simplest things tend to yield more benefit. I could, you know, offer you complex psychosocial models and, you know, complex strategies. The chances are most of you would forget them in 10 minutes and would never implement them. The more simple they are, the more likely we are to overlook them because you say to yourself, well, it can't be that easy. Well, I'm here to say to you, it is. Building these little things into your daily routine that allow you to look after yourself and value yourself is actually sending a really powerful message to your subconscious that, Gershon, you're important. I care about you. I know they call it self-care and self-love, and a lot of blokes laugh and they roll their eyes when you say that. That's, that's for women and their bath bomb or something like that. I disagree. I think as blokes, we need to pay more attention to self-care and self-love as well. That's not just for women with their pink bath bombs. You know, as a bloke, it's okay to have a pink bath bomb as well. Absolutely. But I think that's a, that's a good message. And keeping it simple is also a really, really strong message as well for people to take away. So, you know, I, I, the other thing I wanted to check with you is about um, positivity, because of course... You know, you actually have given quite a lot of positive messages there, ways that we, you know, we can cope. And, and you know, there has there has been so much negativity in the last year and it takes its toll on people, on all of us. It doesn't, doesn't you know, it doesn't matter who you are, as you say, from the very, very top people leading the country all, all the way, all the way through. Is, you know, do you think there are positives that we can actually take out of all that negativity in, into this, into this new year? Not just a few, there are lots. On the precipice of disaster is the greatest opportunity for growth. And actually, we grow more from our challenges and our heartaches and traumas and pain than we do when things go according to plan. We've had a really, really, really tough year. Every single one of us has been challenged in some way, shape or form. I, I refuse to believe there's no one that's come through this unscathed. But through that, we've had the opportunity to, number one, reflect on the things that are really important. It's only when something is taken away from you do you realise how important it is. And, you know, there is no point in the last 500 years where any British population has faced the levels of restrictions and loss of liberty in the way that we have. It's never happened, ever before, even in wartime. When you have your freedoms taken away from you, your freedom of movement, your freedom of expression, your freedom of speech, um, your free, freedom to decide what you do, when you do it, how you do it, what you wear, while you're doing it. And I'm hoping that when those liberties start to return, and I genuinely hope they do, um, that, that we have a newfound appreciation for them. The, the, there are many people around the world that, that don't have those on a normal basis. We've just had them taken away for a temporary re, uh, uh, on a temporary basis. But also we have had the opportunity to pause. So as we've been told to stay at home and as much as it's been uncomfortable and it's been enforced on us, we've really had to face aspects of ourselves that we would have been hiding from or running away from by keeping ourselves distracted with daily life. Now, I chose to do this to myself on three occasions over the last 10 years because I did what's known as a Vipassana. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of Vipassana. Yeah, it's, uh, familiar with it. Yeah, it's a 10-day it's a silent meditation retreat mm. uh, where you turn up and 
for want of a better description, you're effectively living the life of a Buddhist monk for 10 days where you kind of turn up, you renounce all your worldly possessions, you give me your phone, your wallet, your keys. You're literally left with your phone and a toothbrush and they'll feed you and you get a bed and you get up half four in the morning and you meditate until nine o'clock at night and that's pretty much it. All of your external distractions are removed and it's horrible. It's really challenging. You know, I thought I'd go in there and be, you know, like Buddha sat under a tree waiting to achieve enlightenment. That was so far from the truth. I spent the first five days thinking about food and sex. I became an animal. I was like, this is not what I expected. And then, you know, eventually as you stick with the process, you get to the point where the mind starts to clear and you start to access these non-ordinary states of consciousness. Now, what's been, what was happened is as we've been forced into this, a lot of people that have no experience of being isolated or disconnected have really struggled and it becomes overwhelming and you start thinking about all the things you want or all the things that you're being deprived of. Rather than allowing your mind to quieten to understand sort of what's really going on underneath the surface because many of us live our lives at that surface superficial level because the world is encouraging us to do so. You, you know, the, the ways that we live, the way we communicate, these devices that we have are constantly clawing our attention, buy this, do this, read this, consume that. And actually, as we take some time to unplug, you can actually really start to connect with yourself to deeper aspects of yourself, to really get to know yourself. And as much as a lot of people have struggled, I think, you know, through this experience, people have found these kind of moments of lucidity where they're able to realize, actually, you know what? This is really important to me. Oh, I've been able to spend a couple of hours with with Granny or with my my, my sister or my cousin. Or be, we're out of lockdown. I can go out for a meal and just realize, oh my God, this is so valuable to be able to sit in a restaurant and have a meal. Something you would have taken for granted. And I think if we really look at sort of twenty twenty one you'll be easily able to list off all the things that you hated about it. But I'm going to encourage everyone to take a few moments to reflect on what are the things that came out of this year that the opportunities that you were afforded that wouldn't have happened. For those, um, for those of us that have children, you may have had time with your children that you would never have had, particularly you know, when they were at home. And you may have at times got frustrated and you're trying to work, trying to get things done and the kids are screaming and being an absolute nightmare. But in 10 years' time, you're not going to remember all the things that went wrong. You remember that time you had with your children or the time you had with your partner or the time you had where you could go out and walk every day or do the Joe Wicks workout and get yourself into, into really great shape. Other workout programs are available. Um, but, you know, for, for me, time is the most valuable commodity in modern society. And if nothing else, 2020 gave you a little bit of time that you would otherwise have had. Even if it's because you didn't have the daily commute, so it gave you an extra hour. You could have chosen to work in that extra hour, two hours, whatever it is. But I'm hoping there are a few of you that chose to do something in the hour that you wouldn't have done otherwise. Bake banana bread or um, you know, make towels out of toilet paper or whatever. Learn a, learn a new skill or an art. There was a lot of banana bread going down. I'll give you that one. Um, Neil, it's been really, really great to talk to you. Thanks very much for joining us on the Healthy for Men podcast. It's a real pleasure. If anyone wants more information, they can check out www.stress.org.uk. Tons of free resources and information and our stress test to be able to check where you are on your journey to, to calm. Thanks very much, Neil. Now, before you all throw your phones away and detox for the whole of 2021, hang on a minute because we have got lots more great advice coming up for the new year ahead, particularly in terms of uh, your eating and your nutrition. So stay tuned to the Healthy for Men podcast. 
I'm Dr. Gemma Newman, the Plant Power Doctor, your host for The Wellness Edit, a brand new podcast brought to you by Holland and Barrett. Each episode, I'll be joined by leading experts in different aspects of wellness, whether that's how to sleep better, cope with problem skin, enjoy a healthy plant-based diet. When it comes to healthy eating is we charge foods with a good or a bad energy and actually really they're just foods. Find out more at hollandandbarrett.com forward slash podcast or search the wellness edit on your favorite podcast streaming service today. So I'm now joined by registered dietitian and nutrition consultant, Laura Clark. Laura, welcome to the Healthy for Men podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Right. So we're looking ahead at 2021 here. And in terms of eating, if people want to make an improvement or eat a little bit healthier or better for them in 2021, what do you think is the best way they could get started? I think the first thing is to acknowledge that any change that is going to be sustainable has to be approached in a really logical, habitual fashion. So particularly around diet and exercise, we seem to rely a huge amount on willpower, which is a little bit of a figment of our imagination, to be honest. And we tend to want to change lots of things all at once. And therefore, by the middle of January, our willpower muscle is weak and we're struggling. And Actually, what the research shows is that if we can look at how we create good habits so that they become automatic, automatic behavior takes up less brain space and so fundamentally becomes easier for us to repeat. So I would encourage everybody to just be a little bit more sophisticated in 2021 rather than stripping out their cupboards of all of the sugary stuff that they regret consuming in 2020 and trying to be good in inverted commas and just take a little bit more of an intuitive curious approach to fundamentally what drives their habits okay so that's probably good news for a lot of our listeners in terms of kind of like staying motivated to continue to eat well, often people go into a new year with all sorts of intentions, whether it be you know health-wise, fitness-wise, or all sorts of things. Is there a kind of way to ensure that we can stay motivated, especially when it comes to eating? Food is often a symptom of something else. So our food behaviour is never the absolute thing that we should home in on. What we should be doing is taking a step back and thinking, what influences my relationship with food and my food behaviour? And so factors such as how well we sleep, how well we manage stress, how much time we have in our week to think about stuff like, what am I going to have for dinner tonight? When am I going to do shopping? All of those sorts of things play a big part in us being able to have a much more sort of level-headed, helpful approach to food and diet. We don't need to strive for perfection around nutrition because there is no such thing and it just trips us up all the time. And so we end up lurching between being in our eyes super good and then, you know, super bad. And you have this ridiculous seesaw of, of sort of underfueling and then guilt and frustration that you've broken your diet it's just ridiculously unhelpful. So we have to not look at our food behavior and apply willpower. We have to say, right, what is influencing 
what I'm eating, why I'm eating it, how much of it I'm eating, when I'm eating it, you know, look at the bird's eye view of our routine and our lifestyle. Yeah, that's really interesting. So it's it's almost kind of less about the food and more about who we are as people and, and what we you know, what are the external factors and, you know, all, all the other stuff that's going on. Absolutely. If you look at what influences our eating behaviour, this is not a thing about knowledge. This is not, oh, we just need to tell people, you know, where they can get fiber from and then they'll just do it. It's not a knowledge thing. And when you consider everything that influences your nutritional requirements, your body's physiological response to stress will, your appetite is strictly controlled by sleep. The hormones that control metabolism are made when we sleep and a lack of sleep will affect hunger and hunger regulation and desire for food and desire for calories. How much exercise we're doing and the type of exercise we do plays a part in the type of fuel that our body requires. And then we've got that interplay between us and our environment, you know, whether that's in the in the home, in the office or in the supermarket. So there's a, there's a huge amount of stuff that that plays a part in what we ultimately put in our mouths. Mm, that's, that's that's really interesting stuff. I can probably guess the answer to this one, but a lot of people might go into a new year thinking about a new diet or some kind of detox or something like that. How do you feel about them? I feel very frustrated that the multi-million pound diet industry continues to take numerous victims in January who feel low enough in sort of self-worth and self-esteem to feel that another diet plan is the answer. We have absolutely categorically strong evidence that 95% of people who lose weight through strict calorie controlled dieting will regain the weight that they lose within two years. And yet we keep prescribing it as something that works and it doesn't. So we have to get a little bit smarter. And the diet industry is not going to tell you the research around the success of dieting because it wants you to come back for more. So, yeah, I have very strong feelings about the diet industry. Thanks for asking. I think you've managed to articulate them very well. So look, you've given us loads of great insights. So thanks for that. Before uh, you go, I just wondered if you could leave us with maybe one pearl of wisdom about nutrition for the year ahead, what would it be? We've obviously just had a hell of a year, haven't we, for 2020. And I think my pearl of wisdom would be focus on the core of your diet and boosting that with as much fiber as you can. And do not waste time and energy fretting about how many biscuits you ate. Focus on the positives of what you can put in your diet rather than giving yourself a hard time about what you should take out. Switch it round in your head and then nutrition really does have the power to, to protect our health and to keep our immune system fighting out for us and giving us that sense of you know of vitality and well-being that we all want 2021 to give us well, let's hope so thank you very much laura appreciate your time take care bye you can find out more about laura clark on instagram at laura clark nutrition or by visiting lecnutrition.co.uk 
Okay, so now on Healthy for Men podcast, I'm joined by dietitian and sports nutritionist Felicity Lyons, who's going to tell us all about protein and protein goals for the year ahead. Hello, Felicity. Welcome to Healthy for Men. Hey, Goshen. Really nice to meet you. And great to have you with us. Now, let's going to kick straight off here into some good science. Could you sort of explain, first of all, briefly, what protein does in our bodies? Why are we into getting protein in? What's it all about? Okay. So if you think about food generally and what food contains, it contains three major nutrients, carbs, protein, and fat. And what protein is necessary for, if you like, it's a bit like the worker bee in the body. It's super necessary for growth and repair of all the cells in the body. It's involved in every single function. It's a constituent of hormones and energy source if your fat stores are low or your carbohydrate stores are low. And it's also a constituent of enzymes, which and enzymes are the things that like make all the reactions happen. So it's super necessary. Wow. So it's obviously doing a lot of work. So as a result of that, what should the average person's consumption of protein be on a daily basis? So I'm not talking about somebody that's kind of like going to the gym every day or doing other exercises every day. Just the average person, what sort of protein consumption should they be looking at? Okay. So so your your kind of your requirements depend on different things. So they're dependent on whether you're male or female they're dependent on as you mentioned your activity levels so if you're super active you need more than if you're not so active they're dependent on your age and they're also dependent on general health so if you've been ill for example your protein requirements might be a bit higher and if i was to think about a good rule of thumb and i was working out calculating out someone's requirements a good rule of thumb is about a gram per kilogram body weight daily or around 15 percent of your total energy intake. And when we talk about energy intake, we're talking about calories. So about 15% of your total calorie intake should be dedicated to protein intake, or as I mentioned, a gram per kilo of body weight daily. Yeah. I'm sort of a little bit surprised in that, because it doesn't sound like that much, or or maybe I'm wrong though, because is that probably, what would that equate to in terms of like actual foods that you would eat? Um, so, So actually what's interesting is that we tend to think that we need more protein. So as I mentioned, protein is a super necessary nutrient, but we tend to think that we require more than we do. Right. We actually require the majority of our calories from carbohydrate. Next down the list is protein. And then down the list from there is fat. So in terms of um, trying to get that amount of protein into your day, you are looking at something like, you know, maybe a tin of tuna and some nut butter and, um, you know, a small piece of fish in the evening. So nothing ridiculously enormous. It's not about getting four egg omelette in the morning, etc. Right. Okay. Good. That clears that up and makes a lot of sense as well. I suppose what I wanted to talk about is thinking about um, our listeners, probably a lot more active, say, than the average person. So if they are kind of exercising maybe four or five times a week, and that could be anything from the gym to maybe on the bike or going for runs or, you know, quite an active lifestyle. It sounds like from what you're saying, they could probably do with increasing their protein intake. Perhaps. So sometimes people misconstrue what super active is. And if I was thinking, so I, and this will come, you know, to my clinic quite regularly, really, where I may have worked with people who have very office-based jobs, and then they spend 45 minutes or an hour in the gym, sometimes with a personal trainer, and think they're being really active. And actually, that's not super active at all. That's kind of a low to moderate level of activity. If, on the other hand, though, that hour that, you know, is spent in the gym, 
that you are running five days a week for an hour and you are also achieving, you know, 10,000 steps on top of that um, and a little bit of resistance work, then that is considered more active. And the thing to focus on with regard to the more active is what more active means. So if it's running or spinning, then the first thing you need to look at is carbohydrate and fluid. And then after that, you need to look at your protein. So if I, for example, to maintain a body weight and I'm kind of, you know, fairly active, but not super, and I'm consuming 2000 calories, then I become super active and I'm doing all this extra running, et cetera, et cetera. Because I'm burning up more energy, more calories, and I'm trying to maintain my weight, I need to eat more generally. So I need to eat more of everything. So then my protein requirements go up, but it's only because my overall intake of calories have gone up. Okay. It's all about a balance, really. Yeah, I think what you're and saying. understanding yeah. where your balance is as an individual. I suppose that one of one of the things in my mind, I think about people who want to bulk up. Of course, a lot of people okay. like to really work, like you know, build muscle, using protein a lot in that sense to help them. Because of course, we know that protein helps build muscle. Mm-hmm. So, in, if if that was your focus, would you recommend that? Yes, at that point, you would increase the sort of protein consumption. So, I would say exactly the same thing. I would say look to first of all looking at your calorie intake because if you're trying to bulk up. You need to work, first of all, you need to work really hard to do that. Um, And the first thing you need to do is look at your overall intake of calories. So increasing your overall intake of calories by about 20%, or if you think that's too much and you're just going to gain a little bit of fat as well as muscle, then increasing by maybe 200 calories per day to, you know, to kind of trial and see how you get on. That's the first step. Then when you're looking to the kind of the breakup, if you like, of the carbs and the fat and the protein, you need to make sure in order to make sure that these muscles are bulking up in the right way, you need to have the glycogen stores, so the carbohydrate stores optimized at the outset so that you don't end up tearing your muscle up. And when you're trying to rebuild it, you haven't got enough carb to replace the glycogen, the carbohydrate stores that you've just you know, used during the session. And then after that, you look to your protein. And yes, you're absolutely right. When bulking up, you look to increase your calories in terms of, you know, what I've just said, you need to increase your carbs. Then because it's bulking rather than endurance activities like running and spinning, you also increase your protein. So when I said earlier about the average person may be needing um, a gram per kilogram body weight, at this stage, I'm going to bulk up now. I'm going to look to around anything from 1.4. So we can say 1.4, 1.6, 1.7 grams of protein per kilogram body weight, all the way up to two. But beyond two, and sometimes people will like, you know, go super heavy on the protein, but it doesn't actually make any difference. In the studies, what it suggests is that you can go up to two, two will make a difference, but beyond that, it doesn't make any difference at all in terms of muscle protein synthesis. So over that, it's effectively just wasted. Is that that right? If you're having over two grams per kilo of body weight? Yeah, it's wasted. Wasted in terms of it's either um, excreted or if you're not burning it off, you just lay it down as fat. Oh, right. Okay. 
Yeah, so okay. not good. So yeah, it's really interesting. So the message still seems to be, you know, for both those sorts of things, yes, it, you are increasing, but it, again, it's about the balance mm-hmm. and making sure that overall balance is right. So that's um, that's a really good takeaway. Exactly that. So so rather than so you can increase kind of the proportion of calories that you're consuming on the on the bulking up with that element of the in, with the gym, etc. You increase the proportion, and it could be like 20, 25 percent of your energy intake be, ends up coming from protein versus mm. still being fifteen to twenty percent if you're doing the endurance running. Yeah. That makes sense. And in terms of the timings of, of, of the protein consumption, I know that you've done a, a bit of work on this and, and, and uh, you've, you've talked about in the past about getting protein in earlier in the day. We're talking generally speaking now, by the way. Could you say a bit more about that? Ideally, what, you know, what are the good times for, for the protein intake? Okay. So if we want to focus on optimizing what protein does generally, and if you recall from the outset, I said protein is the worker bee. It's involved in everything. Yeah. And we want to ensure that it's there for to you know to build muscle to make the reactions happen etc then the best thing that we can do is try and consume exactly opposite to what we're doing at the moment in the uk we want to consume our protein evenly across the day so at the moment when we look to um, protein consumption we tend to increase it through the day with the biggest amount of protein or the largest amount of protein being consumed in the evening. So we want to strip out some of the protein in the evening and, if you like, hand it over to breakfast so that we've got a more equivalent amount throughout the day. And if you think about, um, for example, when I said earlier, a gram per kilo, and that's a really useful rule of thumb if someone is using my fitness pal or some other kind of app for to, to, yeah. you know, to figure out what they're having. And I'm, say, 60 kilos. So for me, a good you know thing to gun for, if you like, is 20 grams, 20 grams, 20 grams across the three main meals. And that's, of course, without snacks. If it's not, then I can go 15, 5, 15, 5, 15, 5. And that works really tremendously well in terms of optimizing muscle protein synthesis and optimizing um, bone mineral density. Great. Okay. And yeah, I guess the other thing I was thinking about was about, is there any difference in terms of your age and your protein consumption? So for example, if you're older, is, is there a, a case for saying perhaps you should increase your, pro- your protein consumption? <laughs> <laughs> not Are making any comments comment on any. On, yeah, yeah. Not, I'm not yeah. suggesting anything about your age or my age or anybody's age. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, in theory, in, in theory, of course, theory. Uh, is it? Yeah, is it possible that as as we get older, we might want to increase our protein consumption, especially if it's if we, if we are exercising more, for example. Yes, absolutely, um, and as you say, particularly if you're exercising more. Yeah, it's unfortunate, but we do tend to deteriorate as we age, and especially. I hadn't noticed. I just I'm just so unimpressed with the comments generally. <laughs> <laughs> but especially over the age of 50 the rate at which we lose muscle and the rate at which we lose bone increases so i like to think so sometimes when i'm explaining this to clients i ask them to think of walking up the down escalator so you're walking up the down escalator and you're trying to stand still so you're trying to hang on to your bone and you're trying to hang on to your muscle and yet every decade some evil meister is turning up the speed 
at which the escalator is going. So you have to work harder in terms of your nutrition. You have to work harder in terms of the amount of activity you're doing to try and hang on to that lean tissue as best possible. Does that make sense? That does make sense. Although possibly it fills me with fear for uh, getting older. But of course, um, yeah, I can worry about that as the, uh, as, as as the, the years go on, on and yeah, as time goes by. I don't want by. anybody to, to worry about getting older because actually what's really interesting also is that particularly if you do this strength work in the gym, it is so possible to gain muscle and it is so possible to keep your bones in, um, you know, in really good order. It's so necessary. And the longer that you can stay active and stay mobile and eat well, the, you know, the longer you've got this healthier lifespan. We don't just talk about the, the long lifespan anymore. We talk about the healthy lifespan to be really functioning optimally as long as you can. Great. Well, that's a, a nice positive message to go into 2021 with for everybody. So yeah, I'd just like to say thanks very much, Felicity, for joining us on the Healthy for Men podcast. And if anybody's interested in finding out more about Felicity, you can go to felicitylions.com. But yeah, in the meantime, thanks very much, Felicity, and we'll speak to you soon. Take care. Thanks a lot, M. Gershon. That was really fun. Thanks for listening to the Healthy for Men podcast. If you want to read more from Felicity Lyons, the current issue of Healthy for Men magazine is available from Holland and Barrett stores or online at hollandandbarrett.com. And for more on Christian, Laura and Neil, our new issue of Healthy for Men magazine is available from February the 13th. I'll be back with another episode soon. Until then, stay healthy and stay safe. <laughs>